You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. So did you actually go 3-2 or 5-0 at your pre-release? <laughs> well, close enough. I went 3-0 because there's only three rounds. They, uh, they really, um, the pre-releases have become much more casual, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. It's just like, I remember yes. in Monarch, we had like, uh, I don't know, I think it was five rounds with cuts to top eights with these like play mats for first that we were trying to get. Um, and nowadays, oh, you just get, yeah, nowadays you just go in, hang out, do your three rounds, go home. But I played at Reaper Game Store and they had pretty ridiculous pricing considering that the product is also delayed for, until the first. There was a two pack. It was three packs for showing up and two packs per win. So I came out with eight packs. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It was, a, it was a good time. I actually played Fi, unfortunately. I wanted to play anything except Fi, and then my deck, it was definitely a Fi deck. Um, but mm, next time. I played Dromai yesterday, and I got one more pre-release today, but I played Dromai yesterday. My deck was good. Do you have a lot of Senapies? I didn't actually. No, I just had like a really strong like kind of defensive deck with a couple of dragons in the endgame and just good ways to to make ash and turn ash into ash rings just that's, took over games that's the deck that i want to i want to play that's the one i want to try i just haven't really, i feel like i haven't gotten the pool but maybe i should try to force it i don't know yeah well pre-releases are more than underway and with that uprising is releasing in a week unfortunately in the u.s it is going to be delayed by a week from release and we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, in the news and I have a couple of questions for you actually brendan because mm -hmm. i know that's going to impact you um but in terms of where we are well we're coming into a new class constructor format the sort of shake up with two heroes going living legend star of the show and chain plus the release of uprising is really going to sort of be kind of the biggest change we've seen in the class constructed meta since the start of flesh and blood really new set plus two heroes rotating out is a, is a pretty big change so today we are going to talk about uprisings impact in class constructed we're going to go through each of the three new heroes talk about those how to build them sort of week one builds what we're looking for and where we think they're going to kind of shake out in this road to nationals meta plus talk a little bit about the set and um, how it might impact the already existing heroes in the format so before that brendan i want to talk this week in flesh and blood but i want us to go back a week because uh we are recording this early it's actually the weekend of the pro tour, uh, sorry, weekend pro tour, weekend the pre-release because you are heading off on a on a trip, so we are doing an early record. We've been playing pre-releases this weekend, um, but also last week we did the set review and we didn't cover a bit of a recap on our events, the world premiere and the calling. So this week in flesh and blood is actually last week in flesh and blood. And how was your time in Vegas, Brendan? It was good. <laughs> Vegas, Vegas itself, mm, maybe not so good. It was the World Series of Poker weekend. There's so many people. It was crazy. I've actually never seen so many people in one place. I went to the Bellagio one night and I was just blown away. But for the event, um, yeah, so my team was initially me, Sasha Markovic, and X. Um, X actually was pretty undeterred for a very long time. We have found uh, Mr. Sean Yang. And then Sasha had to dip out, unfortunately. So I got in contact with Michael Hamilton and convinced him to come over. So my team was Sean Yang, Michael Hamilton, and myself. I was on Kano, Sean was on Reinar, and Michael was on Oldham, of course. <clears throat> Overall, I think the event went pretty well. We did our seating like this. We did Reinar in seat A, Kano in seat B, Oldham on seat C. Um, turns out that if we had put the Reinar in the middle and put the Kano on A, we would have done significantly better um, because most teams in the United States put their... 
old him in the middle, which is pretty funny. And I think this is something that we should dive into because it really helps you understand how the metagame shapes out because I think this is a facet of that. The idea is that you probably shouldn't put your old time middle because they're preoccupied. Even though the deck might be easier to pilot, whatever anybody wants to say, nevertheless, your old him, especially if it's in a mirror, is going to be urging the other old him to play faster, uh, has to play very grindy games, and will likely be preoccupied for the entire match. So putting them in the middle is kind of weird, right? Because they can't facilitate player A or C, theoretically. But I think what happened was that Oldham was sort of the de facto best deck in the, in the format, right? And I think a lot of teams put their best player on the best deck, and that just happened to put that player mid. I, it was overwhelmingly Oldham middle, which was fine for Kano. It was fine for our Kano, but our Reinar <laughs> unfortunately got paired into mostly aggro decks. Uh, a lot of Kasai, um, a lot of Chain, just stuff like that which is less ideal. I think if we had our Kano up against that, you know, Kasai basically being a buy for Kano, um, Reiner obviously being pretty strong into the old hymns. I think Kano is as well, but it, we would have, we basically would have been positioned to perform a lot better. Nevertheless, we went uh, X2 and 1 on day one. So we had two losses and then we had a draw, unfortunately. So we missed out on day two, but all good overall had a great event. Uh, it was cool to see in the finals, um, Michael Fang, Yongji, and Yonji were in the finals. And I think, yeah, Yonji was playing with the sleeves with my face on it, which I thought was hilarious. We have a funny video of it. Uh, playing Kano, actually two Kanos in the U.S. finals, one being Alexander Vor's team. I think that mm. was, his brother was on that team as well. Playing vastly different Kano builds. So like Yonji's build was different than mine on Kano, but he was playing Ragamuffins. And then Alexander's build was different than mine, but he wasn't even playing Ragamuffins. He was playing Talismatic Lens. So we saw... You know, sort of this uh, different interpretations of Kano. Um, both teams, I believe, had an old him. And then there was a Michael Fang was on Prism. Prism in middle, right? So we, I told you a lot of old hymns were sitting in middle. Well, Michael Fang, you know, brought that Prism deck and just absolutely mm -hmm. was dunking on these on these old hymns. But yeah, overall, great event. Had an awesome time. The weekend itself was fantastic as well. World premiere, great time. Um, got to do a draft and stuff and got to play some sealed some sealed pools uh, on, uh, on Sunday after I didn't make it in day two. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean world premiere was fantastic i had the, the best time in terms of uh, my time over the weekend here in sydney uh, i had some friends fly in i had damakai who we test with fly in and and dave who is our editor for our videos um and good friend he he also flew in and um we all went and played world premiere uh and had a had a good time just opening new cards and i was just like some of the, like, next to me, someone pulled, like, a, I think it was, like, the double-sided, like, token. I was, like, people yeah. don't know about that, and it's really cool. And then someone pulled, like, the um, the rewind. And then the judge goes, um, the head judge goes, uh, so uh, there's a misprint in the set. <laughs> uh, you know, it's this, like, altar foil rewind. And then he, like, two minutes later, was like, no, never mind. It's, a, it's like, that's meant to be that way. It's a, it's a bit of a, you know, bit of an Easter egg. It's kind of, it's a, it's a purposeful alt art card by Legend Story Studios, like the full art twinning blade, etc. So, um, that was pretty sweet. Had a, had a good time on Friday, uh, catching up with everyone. And then the calling itself, we, so we had just kind of to riff off what you had there, Brennan, we had a very similar, I mean, we played the same three heroes, but we played, I think our ultim was quite a bit different or somewhat different to what, what Michael ended up on. Um, and we, I guess in terms of like seeding, quite interesting, you just said like a lot of, like majority of the US teams, North American teams put their ultim in the middle. We kind of experienced that to some degree, like some teams put their ultim in the middle. Um, but 
primarily the ultimate players were sitting on the side, which is kind of what we thought would happen. And that's why we, we put our Reinar on the side and we put our ultimate deck on the side as well. Our ultimate deck was just kind of pretty disgusting into the mirror and to aggro decks. It was just this like ultra fatigue um, deck that Nick Butcher played with just like a million life gain and like just good blue defense reactions. He even played like blue immovable, harder Fiendale, just all these ways to kind of gain life and grind games out. Um, never went to time, by the way. Nick never went to time or, or took a took a draw. He just like made sure he just played as quickly as possible, urged his opponent to make plays. Um, so yeah, we had Nick in seat, I guess seat A. Ours is weird. They did these like banded color things, which was kind yeah. of a bit odd, but uh, we had Nick in seat one. Then we had Dan McKay in the middle playing Kano and then myself on the, the side playing Reiner, of course. Um, and so I think it worked out a little bit better for us than what you were saying in terms of just where the players were sat. Um, I think Dan had the hardest time in the middle uh, playing up against all, had a lot of people put aggro decks in the middle thinking that people would you know put their ultims on the side. They decided to put their like their boost dash in the in the middle, um, Kano's in the middle. I know Dan I think played three Kano mirrors and, and won all of them. He even played against Jason Chung and won a Kano mirror. So he's, he's taking that as like his badge of honor now, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, we, we obviously had a, had a great time and uh, managed to take top four. We lost to, we played into the one of the LSS teams in the final round of Swiss and in the first round of top four, which was uh, Newsom's team. So Newsom is former dev, now operations uh, for LSS. He's playing Ira and he's playing in my seat. So I got to play against Ira twice as Reiner. And uh, both the games were, the Swiss game was pretty epic. Like um, there's a lot of like 33% whiffs that I hit runner to runner and uh i think me and you were just having a good time like hitting these cards off the top and there was a there was a time in the where he, like i had double reckless wing double six attack in hand and he like had lethal like more than lethal on the turn i just had to go for it and just like hit the reckless wing off the other reckless wing and just things like that it was actually ended up being quite fun and um yeah i mean overall just, just kind of an, an awesome weekend i just these world premiere events are so cool right like i hope they continue to do these and obviously i know that we're not, you know, down here in Australia, we're not going to get them every single time, um, maybe. But, you know, for them to continue to do these for each of the core sort of the base sets, I think is going to be a really cool thing. Um, and even that that sort of that, you know, they were offering draft in the afternoon. I think that's a really cool thing as well. So, I don't know, Brendan, I just hope they continue to do them. I think it's a cool spectacle. Tag a calling on, tag a team call. Team, I want more team callings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, the Monarch World Premiere, I mean, Tales of Arium World Premiere was also fantastic. So, I, I really do hope they have them every time. It's particularly cool to open the set when you don't know all the cards because, <laughs> you know, they actually don't spoil all of them before we finally get to open the packs. Obviously, opening the Marvels, like these special tokens, yeah. that stuff's really, really fun. But, uh, yeah, Hayden, I'm alive. The Marvels look so good. <clears throat> they do. In, they in did a draw? very good job. They did a very good job. It is exciting to open Uprising, period. Uh, I think it's the, yeah, I mean, I think it's the best so far, right? The like, coolest set to open? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the coolest set to open. Yeah, I just had uh, one last one last thing on this. I just have to give a a, a few shout outs because we had the event in Sydney was really interesting. I think it was like it's the biggest event that Australia's had, uh, and it was bigger than Madrid, which is interesting in terms of teams. So I think there was nearly a hundred teams in Sydney, and I think there was like eighty in Madrid. So it was a bigger event for the calling than Madrid would, which is is crazy to think. Um, but I just the the head judge Noah. I mean, this is here's this. How's this, um, Brendan? They had eleven judges for nearly a hundred teams in. Uh, in Sydney, in Madrid, they had four times the number of judges. <laughs> so shout out to the judge team here in Sydney. They did an amazing job with very limited resources uh, and to Noah, who was the head judge. And um, just the way it was run, LSS, obviously some of the LSS team members coming over and uh, Let's Play Games who actually run the event did a, did a good job. Um, and the, the venue was like, it was just kind of this like, um, it was like an auditorium. It's quite a nice sort of venue, nicer for playing than in a big sort of soulless hall, which I, I like that they can do that with smaller events, similar to what they do in Europe, I know with um, the calling uh, that happened in Poland. 
Yeah. I just have to give one shout out as well to Mr. Hemlaw Patel. My favorite vendor sells me pretty much all of my cards, but also hooked us up with some cards to rent. Uh, <clears throat> lent us some cards on the day of because Mr. Michael Hamilton is the epitome of a spike and actually doesn't really own flesh and blood cards. <laughs> so we had to get a last minute heart of Fendal and they had no problem just like <clears throat> letting us uh, borrow this for the day. So that was very helpful. And uh, thank you to him. Yeah. Top guy. All right, Brennan, should we jump into some news? Let's now we've it. recapped our premiere, uh, world premiere and callings. And um, yeah, I mean, I had, uh, every time I come off a weekend like that, I just want to play more flesh and blood. I want to play more <clears throat> competitive events. I can't wait for road to national season now. Just to play, just to explore this new constructor format. And um, yeah, I want more teams formats, just if, if anyone at LSS is listening. Uh, the news, Uprising drops this weekend. Unfortunately, Brendan, not in the US though. Um, do, do you have some little sort of insight on that from your side about what's kind of happening with that at all yeah, and, and what sure. that means? I know you've got an event coming up this weekend, which is meant to become like a big release. I think it's a 10K event <laughs> happening out somewhere. I think it might be a 15K total because the team, sure. okay. uh, the team event is a 5K on the Sunday as well. So I'm going to Ohio. Um, Cleveland, Ohio, to play at the Realm Games 10K um, event, and there's a team. There's now a team sealed on that Sunday as well. So this team event is class or sorry, the initial event, the 10K is class constructed, and now it is uh, due to the delay. Uprising will not be legal, but both Chain and Starvo will also not be legal. So we get to play our own little mini format. And I'm actually more excited for this than if Uprising was legal because we're going to have plenty of time to play Uprising, right? We have ten, plenty of time to play that CC format. We get one weekend to play a completely sort of new and just special format and then just rotates out forever. <laughs> so I'm actually more excited. And the team, what was going to be Team Blitz is now Team Sealed. So I'm pumped. That's uh, cool. Yeah, but overall, like the sentiment over here, I don't know. I haven't heard too, I haven't heard a lot of like, negative sentiment i don't really go online too much but at my local game store people are like yeah whatever they're bummed but uh it's whatever it happens at least like the good thing is that lss communicates right they're upfront yeah. they communicate it and um yeah they just let us know it's kind of a mistake on their end and we will get it by the first so a couple of questions for you because how do you feel about the fact that road to national starts the weekend now that because it was meant to be released and then you get one weekend before road, road to nationals right but now road to nationals starts the I have this right, yeah. Road to National starts on the second, which is the weekend of release. How, how do you, how are players feeling about that? Like that, that is putting some time pressure on players being able to capture cards and things like that, right? Yeah, for class constructed, for sure. So for me, there's actually none really local that weekend. Um, so for CC, it's annoying. <laughs> it's definitely not ideal for class constructed. For something like draft, which a, a lot of these road to nationals are. Um, I think it's either equal or better, right? Because you just get to have you get to have a fresh kind of a fresh uh, a fresh draft format. I guess it doesn't really affect anything in that sense. But yeah, for class constructed, if there is a deck that is overwhelmingly powerful, then it might be a bit irritating. But at the same time, like Flesh and Blood is a game where you know you don't really need to effectively buy into the new set to be competitive, even at the highest level. Like sometimes there's going to be some outliers of cards that you will want to get. Um, mm -hmm. But you can walk up to one of these events and bring your Prism or bring your Briar, which I think are both going to be good picks in the upcoming meta and do well. Yeah. Okay. And then what about, um, I guess, the event you're going to? So are you playing the Team Seal? And if so, who, who are your teammates? Yeah, so I am playing the Team Seal. My uh, my teammates are Michael Fang and Yuanji. Um, we... Spike. 
Yeah, <laughs> which is awesome. So I'm actually going up to New York on Monday and I'm going to be staying with Michael at his place in Jersey, which is cool. And then we're going to fly over to Cleveland together. So awesome weekend kind of coming up for me. Four team sealed. Really interesting. Really interesting because there's three heroes and you're playing You're playing the three heroes. Almost guaranteed you're playing three heroes. So the question is, is like, how do you distribute those cards? And like, I think sort of the 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 looming thing for me is like, can we build a fatigue deck, right? Can we have certain decks that can just get across the line with 30 cards, maybe an Icelander deck, it's a little bit uh, uninteractive, you know, it has a lot of arcane damage, but then can we just have one deck that just dunks on everything because it just has way too many cards, way too much life gain, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's going to be interesting to sort of figure that out. I have, I've never played Team Sealed and particularly Team Sealed when there's like literally three heroes and there's three players. Yeah. So I'm excited. What I think the hardest thing is going to be actually is that you have to divide all cards into three. Mm -hmm. So you have to divide your sideboard cards as well. So you have to decide, you know, where mm -hmm. you're going to put the cards that are good into Icelander, for instance. Yep. Where you're going to put that extra piece of Quail. Where you're going to put that, um, you know, that piece of, uh, you know, that Oasis Respite, that Sigil, that Life Gain. Like, where are you putting that? And that's that's also, I think that's actually the toughest thing. Once you decide the three heroes, it's like, okay, well, actually, where are these cards that are a bit more specific for matchups? Where are these going? Because you can't sort them between decks. You've got to decide, lock it in, and that's what you're playing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're going to be doing a little bit of like theory crafting throughout this week, a little bit of learning on the day, but uh, everybody is. Nobody's played it. <laughs> Nobody knows to expect. All right. Last last one on this is uh, got a bit of a hint. What, what deck are you thinking about playing in with this weird format that's only going to exist for one weekend only? So I think there's like three relevant picks, three like big ones, right? There's Oldham, there's Prism, and I think there's Briar. Um, I'm between uh, Prism and Briar. So it just depends what I think other people are going to pick, to be honest, because I don't want to play Prism if it's going to be Mono Briar, and I don't want to play Briar if it's going to be Mono Oldham, because that's also a rough matchup. Maybe I'll lean towards the Prism, just because I have a lot of recent experience with that exact list, like the probably the list that would be successful in that format is similar to the one that was successful against Starvo, maybe cut some D-Reacts, stuff like that. Um, so probably lean more towards the Prism than the Briar, but those two, those are the toss-ups for me. Mm, can i make a suggestion yeah yeah i go is it reinar <laughs> no it's dash what about dash what about dash um mm. so here's the logistics of my situation right i have tomorrow and then i'm flying out on monday and i will have no time to play throughout that week i'm going to be very busy it's like a work trip for me so I don't think I can like bring back a deck that I haven't played since Crucible. It just seems a little sketchy. Could it be successful? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, you got, you, what are the three decks you have to beat? You've got to be Prism, Briar, and Oldham. Sounds like Dash can mm -hmm. do all those, right? To an extent, you can definitely do two of them well, and then two maybe you well. hitch against the third one. But that's probably what I would, uh, I would take if I was in, in your, in your shoes. But obviously I tested a lot with that deck for the Pro Tour. But anyway, best of, best of luck, Brendan. Mm -hmm, thank Enjoy. You, Sounds like it sounds like a lot of fun. I wish I had something like that for the first weekend, but I'll just have to wait another weekend for Road to Nationals. Anyway, moving through in the news, uh, calling Utrecht and Singapore tickets are on sale. I believe Singapore's actually sold out already, Brendan, which is, is crazy. Um, I know it is capped, I think, at, at 300 players, but I don't know if they're looking to extend that. Hopefully, they, they do to allow more players to come, um, but I guess that's going to be venue, venue dependent. And then more Battle Hardens have been announced. Uh, so we have uh, upcoming Battle Hardened events in, in Syracuse, which I think was already announced. Toronto, Los Angeles, uh, Auckland now as well, um, coming up on the horizon within this kind of next season. So I think these are all within July, I believe. 
Um, yeah, just looking at the dates now they are. So if you are in the areas or you're thinking about, you know, you're close by and thinking about going to them, check out fabtcg.com and you can see all the dates and, and uh, the the organizers and how to enter. I think there's links on all those. <clears throat> I want to give a big congratulations to the calling winners around the world. Uh, obviously, three callings this weekend. The most callings, the first time we've had, uh, you know, multiple callings on a weekend, right, Brendan? So um, and some pretty impressive results, right? Like you talked about Alexander Devore's team winning, obviously coming off the back of a top eight at Pro yeah. Tour and then his team winning the... Uh, the US calling, but then also in Madrid, Pro Tour champion Pablo Pintor uh, and his team took out a lot the calling. Of so results and the, Bol- yeah, the Bolton of- boys. Jack, I think the last time Jacob Pearson played a played a calling, he won as well. He won the calling exactly. So uh, <laughs> three three players who have put up a lot, of, you know, consistency starting to show through. I think that kind of talks to team format, to be honest. Um, a very good team. The, I mean, we we played. Against, I just I point out we beat the Bolton boys in Swiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we downed them, even though we had an auto loss with Prism playing into Alton. We just scooped that matchup immediately. It's pretty funny. We just scooped that matchup. And basically, we didn't scoop it, but Nick played it out. But he wasn't really focused on the game. What he was actually doing was remembering Dan's pitch deck for him. So that when Dan uh, pitch deck the combo against Jacob playing Ultim, uh, Dan killed him, and, and Nick knew his, his exact uh, pitch deck, which is quite funny. Um, well, I just sat in the corner playing my game against Briar, uh, which ended on turn three. But um, yeah, congratulations to all, all the calling winners, and and uh, yeah, shout out especially to to the Bolton boys. Um, there's a new procedure and penalty guideline that's just been released, which now introduces a middle ground between casual and professional area, which is competitive area which i think has been a long time coming right brendan i think mm-hmm. everyone can agree with this with the roads nationals and and stuff so roads nationals i believe are actually still going to be uh run at casual i need to go and check what is competitive what what tiers of these uh, i think roads nationals is tier two right so that now, now falls under competitive area um i should have checked this it is tier I, two. I just looked at it is tier two? Yeah, okay. So all tier two events and day one of the calling, which is tier three, will be run at competitive REL. So yeah, sorry, including ProQuest, Road to Nationals, Battle Hardened. So I think it's a really good change. Um, I think, you know, there was this kind of awkward thing where you're at Road to Nationals, you're playing for these prizes, you're playing for these gold foils, you're playing for an invite to Nationals, for an invite to the Pro Tour, and it's a casual REL. And mm. uh, it just didn't quite fit both penalty guidelines and I guess maybe... Um, just the interaction between players and the stand, you know, not the standard of play, but just I guess that maybe the attitude of people if they're like, ah, oh, it's a casual event. Um, when in reality, it's I don't think anyone's really taking that approach. Um, so good to see competitive Ariel. There are some changes with professional and competitive, and and um, I guess on gameplay infractions and tournament infractions and the penalty guidelines for this. Uh, so maybe I, I would recommend just going checking out. It's I think Josh Scott put this up, and it's done in a really tight sort of like one page maybe two page sort of article which is really easy to digest with a table on the changes to uh penalties as well which is it's really clear and easy to understand so yeah definitely recommend going and checking out but good to see that i think as a op we're starting to move towards uh, the three-tier system of um, enforcement level which i think is really good so otherwise brendan we've got a few videos up this week up on the youtube mm-hmm. channel arsenal pass on youtube uh, we've got a, a calling recap that uh, me and the australian team did just on kind of the decks that we played to top four um and then as well there's the uprising set review of course that we did last week's pod uh, three hours of uprising grading goodness and we did a seal prep video uh, which has been pretty well received so thank you to everyone who's uh, sent us some nice comments on that we hope that sort of helps you for pre-release weekend and just getting your head into limited moving forward as we head into this road to national season uh, which starts next weekend at this point uh, where in the future brendan dope yeah so big shout out to the arsenal pass patreon you you all support does help us do what we do and we have seen amazing support at that um so looking forward to kind of continuing in the future and crushing this road to national pro quest season getting you all the deck techs and deck guides you need to sort of win those events uh, we're actually going to be doing something special on the patreon this month 
So recently, um, I posted a picture on Twitter, um, a little bit of a transformation, lost about 90 pounds in the past like two or so years. Got a lot of feedback uh, from people in the community. So Hayden and I thought about doing this for Arsenal Pass. Um, we're going to do it via the Patreon Discord, but we're going to do just like in the month of July, just a little fitness month. Um, we're going to be commu- you know, kind of coordinating with people in the AP Patreon or in, in the AP Discord or, and just sort of go through this and we're going to have some giveaways too. It's not going to be based off any numbers or anything like that, but it's just the five most you know, dedicated people, people that are most involved. You know, we're going to give out full art heralds, play mats, those. I don't know if you've ever seen me and Hayden playing at recent events, but we have these very, very limited edition AP life pads <laughs> we'll be giving out as well. If anybody else is like a content creator that wants to participate in this, uh, let us know. I heavily encourage you to. I think that we can have like a really awesome experience here and have a like kind of crush it this month. In terms of what Hayden and I will be doing, um, you know, in that in that Discord channel, kind of every day, I'll update literally everything I do, everything I eat, um, all the exercises I do, pretty much everything. So if you have, if you want to just follow along or you want to do your own thing, whatever it is, um, yeah, we'll be very active with it. Probably do like weekly calls to sort of recap, see if everybody's at, just a way to engage. Cause I think we can have some impact here. Um, yeah, it is going to be on the, like on our discord, which is technically behind our Patreon. Um, but if you have any sort of financial limitation for getting into that, uh, for this month, just go ahead and DM me and I'll be happy to sort of buy you into the this month's patreon so you can participate i think it can be awesome it's something that hasn't been done in flesh and blood before if you're thinking about it or considering it um i highly recommend it because i think that if we're ever going to do it the first time it's going to be sort of the most historic and the most awesome the idea is to sort of be healthy and for us all to go on this sort of 30-day journey um now we just have a good time yeah i mean it's not um brendan pitched this to me and I, i thought about it for a little bit and i think it's the big takeaway for me is like um, this is something as a community, and I think it's not about it's not about like losing a bunch of weight or anything like that. For like for me personally, my goal for this month coming up, I thought about this is I'm going to prioritize my sleep. My sleep is going to be the most important thing to me in this month, and it's going to be it's uh, it's about healthy habits. I think that's the one thing I'm trying to I want to build as we do this thing as a community next month. And um, for me, yeah, sleep is going to be the priority. So it's not even about necessarily my eating or, or my exercise, although you know those things of course will be focus for me but my, my sleep is actually gonna be the one I th- the one thing I focus on for the next month and um, I'm gonna make sure that I get s- minimum seven and a half hours sleep every night Brendan I'm gonna move to that it's my goal for next month so I'm already yeah. putting it out there I've been doing that for a while there's a book by Matthew Walker about sleep that will pretty much change the way you, you approach that and for it, it, like and how important it is to your everyday sort of function yeah. but also your long-term health its contribution to Alzheimer if you don't get enough of it Alzheimer's um, so yeah sleep is very important for me I'm probably going to do something more weight loss based. Um, I think I'm at a good point right now, but I'll probably just get down to like a body pop percentage that is somewhat challenging, right? Like I just want to do the most challenging thing possible to sort of like set the example that if, you know, if anybody's just trying to go on this journey, hasn't done it before, like we'll be there sort of in the trenches suffering with you, like to collectively suffer. So I'm going to go really hard um, and just try to, like absolutely get back down to like some ridiculous percentage or something like that. But at the same time in a very, very healthy way. Uh, but it's something I've been wanting to do for a while. Cause I think it's one of the things you, you sort of do it and then you sort of go back up to real life after it's like just a bit of an experience. <laughs> so I won't be doing another juice cleanse this month. <laughs> yeah. I've done a few of those. I did one of those with my partner and oh my God, <laughs> she was a uh, ferocious during that juice cleanse. <laughs> 
Oh, hey, I tell you what, set me up good for the calling though. Uh, cleared right out of that Starbo and chain. Anyway, Brendan. Um, speaking of, I guess, healthy habits and food, let's uh, let's put some some nice healthy things on the grill this week, I guess, and uh, head into the Guana Cookout. We have a question from um, Capolo, who is uh, you know a community content creator, a bit of a dash aficionado, as I understand it. Comes with a Discord question. Uh, my question is about deck building. Do you have some sort of formula for the ratios of cost versus pitches? Or is it gut feeling coming from the experience when determining the ratios of cost versus pitch? Thank you. Um, good question. I think, Brendan, I can, I can kind of start this way. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of thought. but <laughs> Ratios is one of my favorite things, as Brendan knows. Um, there's a couple of things for me. So I don't, as much as I talk about ratios and, and pitch cost and, and cost bases and um, resource bases and think this sort of thing and resource curves, it's not actually that I have a necessarily particular... Um, a particular format or formula, I guess. The way I actually often start is I'll start with uh, what we've done previously. So if I'm looking at a, a base or something, I'll look at something I've had previously and go, okay, like why did I have this amount of blues? Uh, why did I have this amount of like yellows, reds, resource? Like is it a cost to ratio thing or is there something else about the deck that dictates that you want more blues? Like um, I think a really good example of this is is when approaching like Fire Unlimited. Like my first thought was, okay, well like in Ninjas, like, you know, with Kadachis, I wanted this much, but uh, we don't have Kadachis. We, you know, we have just like a lot of zero cost attacks, and so my resource base comes down. I'm thinking like six, seven blues. Oh, but hold up! I want to, this Ember. Um, the weapon is really good, right? So I want to swing this every turn, and now I'm starting to adjust my cost base. Uh, and then I'm thinking about feasibility, and then I'm thinking about Quell, and then my my resource base starts to move. So I like to use mine more of like a, a based on like my previous understanding experience, and then move it based on the variables that are involved with that. But I do also start with like kind of a, a rough guideline based on my cost values. So I'll look at, a, I guess, a rough draft of a deck that I've got with my, my kind of core of like the, the cards I want to do, the things I want to win the game with, and I'll start with that and go, okay, like <clears throat> on an average turn, I want to play X card and X card, and that's going to cost me on average five resources. Maybe it's a weapon swing for two plus a card for three. On average, it's going to cost me five resources. Okay, well, I'm looking at three card hands, and I need like a yellow and a blue or two blues in this hand. So that's going to influence how I, I try and build decks. I'm going to start to look and go, Okay, well, based on that, I need probably, you know, like a third of my deck being blues realistically to make sure. And I'll, I'll go jump in the old hypergeometric calculator. You can mm. just Google. There's a, there's one for magic that's that's pretty good. It's good for card games. It has all the input variables that you that you need. And just jump on and, and put in what's probably going to give me like a, over 70% chance to draw two blues every turn. And just kind of start with that and then work backwards. And then honestly, after that, like kind of any kind of, I guess, um formula is out the window to a degree i'm just working on like what i think based on that the the sort of pure numbers and the percentage chance i draw so hypergeometric calculator i always go back to as i tweak and change blues and resource cards and reds even and and look at my cost and then i'll reevaluate my cost base as i go like what's what's the constraints on every turn what's my um cost effects every turn am i at five? Oh, i've changed the deck now i'm at four resources average every turn and kind of just work backwards on that um yeah, any, anything outside, outside there, Brendan? I know I talk to you a lot about this, Brendan, when, when we talk about decks and you tweak some stuff and I'll like take the list and go like, oh, hold up, I think you're like light on blues now because of X, Y, Z or whatever. Yeah, but <laughs> it, goes the, it, it goes the other way too because so like I use the Hype Geom extensively as well, but like there's sometimes there'll be like, there'll be ratio heuristics that are just functionally and completely wrong. So like a particular example is like the Prism deck in the last meta. Like people played like heavy blues um to sort of facilitate having enough resources to play the turn, but then you wouldn't you would not draw yellows and then not be able to get go again um on your heralds or on your auras, which was like super, super important. So 
turns out that like although it looked pretty bad in the hype jump to cut those blues it was just it was probably correct and you saw the more successful lists actually play that plus those lists had maybe cut a single unmovable weren't playing these like really bad red cards like sink blow etc etc um i definitely go more off feel but what i'll do initially because for me the hardest part is always the base like trying to figure out what are the what is like the base amount of blues i want etc etc i'll look back at like other decks that have had similar similar curves this is obviously harder in the in the early days but now you know if i'm looking at a chain deck i might go look at like what did my briar channel not heroic deck look like or what did my what did that chain deck look like if i'm trying to build something else that's sort of aggro right and it comes around this like 20 to 22 blue range and then i'll tweak from there um and i feel like i usually start tweaking start going by feel and then i go to the hype gm not that it comes at the end of the process but it's very much in like the sort of middle to like early middle of the process um and feel it out because you really need you really need math to sort of confirm what you're what you're experiencing because if you look at everything from like a feel perspective the amount of games and the sample size you need to actually verify if something is even remotely close to correct it's it's so much like it can be it can be an incredible amount um so i think that because time is not infinite that's why you have to go back to like math and stuff like that theory but yeah i do i do work a bit more um a bit more by feel than hayden it's you definitely do but it's also funny because i think so one thing i want to point out is i think that having these kind of like you know brennan loves you heuristics but even just kind of going back to older lists and and bases of where we've been in the past the past is not the present or the future and where we've been in the past it may not be correct to be now or in in the future um i think a good example you use is is like the prism sort of thing right the the old prism discussion was like people are playing like 13 14 blues in the deck and then we moved to like this kind of 24 25 blue deck and i, I kind of still disagree with you to an extent Brendan. i actually think like 23 to 24 blues is is correct in those lists but i understand that it, the like my next point actually is that there's no black or white on those sort of things because you can have a cost base but then there's all these nuances that come into it right like oh actually i need yellows for this but also i need to play yellows so even though i show this many yellows in my deck it's probably i need more than that because i'm also playing yellows out um, maybe i need less blues because i'm playing less blues or actually you know nine of my blues are, are auras and i want to be playing or 12 of my blues are auras and i want to be playing these cards out so they're actually not really true blues there's all these kind of like uh, variables and, and sort of nuances to even your resource base but i think it's important to not always necessarily focus on the past like in the past chain decks played like 21 22 blues even some some decks playing 19 when we we're working on the chain list for the pro tour we we're looking at actually actually a higher cost base on some stuff but also uh an increase in like the power of the blues you know you had like shrill the skull form and some of these new blues that came in that just were better we moved to like these lead the charge blues in the deck and things like that and so it actually made more sense to play more blues than in the past, um, not just from like a cost base, but also because of what the blues were doing. Uh, so there's always going to be changing things as well. There's always these variables, I think. But a base point to start on is often just wherever I've been previously and then start to factor in all the things around that that can change. Um, you know, like use the prism example. Maybe I actually want less blues because it impacts my deck too much. I'm playing chain. I want more blues because of the power of the blues, whatever it is. Maybe I can play less blues because I play seven. I play seven belittles and can fetch them on demand. Exactly. It's like, it's like, yeah, a lot of things sort of, they all come together um, and you have to evaluate it in totality rather than, you know, kind of just sectioning off a piece and going off like, oh, I just need 25 blues because I have 60 cards and my average resource, my average resource cost is like 2.x or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Math is good. Right. And like you say, I think I maybe overline a little bit too much. Um, but it's it's a good starting point. The, the the funny thing is with flesh and blood, and we'll keep coming back to it when people ask questions like this. Great question, by the way. Is uh, it depends, and we'll try and give as much color to it as possible. But honestly, it's going to continue to evolve and change, which is 
kind of the beauty of flesh and blood. Anyway, if you do want to get your questions in for the Commander Cookout, you can submit them to us on our, our Discord. If you're on Discord, you can email them to us at arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. You can tweet at us, DM us, drop them in the YouTube comments. Um, give Brendan a little note at the Realm Games event this weekend if you want. Or just scream obscenities at me from across the room. And Why not? Somehow hide your question in there. All right, Hayden. Let's, let's head into the main topic of the pod. Yeah, so as I said at the top of the show, Uprising and Classic Constructed, the set is releasing over the next two weekends, depending on where you are, and we're heading into this Rhodes National season. We have a really big shake-up in the meta uh, with Living Legend, Four Chain, and Bravo Star of the Show, and of course, three new heroes entering, plus a new card pool to contend with. So, where are we going? What's happening? And I, I guess we're going to kind of break this down and start with the existing meta, right? So, Brendan, I, I want to ask about the impact on the existing metagame right now what does the living legend retirement because you actually think about this what does the living legend retirement of starvo and chain mean for the existing meta heroes so if if you know i know you already answered this a little bit but if uprising wasn't around what do we think would be the best of the existing heroes like you said prism ultim briar do you think anything else plays into that and you know Yeah, so the reason the reason why I mentioned Prism Ultimate Briar is because like those are relatively relevant in the past meta. So a lot of people have those decks, like they have the cards for those decks, they know how to play them, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Can something like Dash come back in? Absolutely. You know, and there could be other decks in there as well. Um, like maybe Prism gets hated out enough that you can play something like a warrior. I don't know. Um and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I do think that uh chain and starvo rotating out is actually more much more impactful on the game than uprising. We still have yet to see sort of the um you know the heroes get built, whether you know Jermai, Icelander, or Fi are warping enough, but particularly Starvo and Chain have been extremely warping on the meta since they entered. Starvo, I think kind of functionally broke the game in a sense uh and prevented a lot of heroes from even functioning at a base level uh whereas chain was just like that was just the premier aggro tech to an extent um it also had game into fatigue and just like this idea of like you know being able to get get all this card advantage having go again on demand etc etc was a lot was a lot yeah. for the meta to handle so those two rotating out i think it makes things much more interesting like 10 times more interesting to be honest uh there still is yeah. old him old him is a bit of a boogeyman i think that that hero is particularly just a little bit pushed like the hero ability very strong crown of, crown of seeds also very very strong but now we have a crown of providence for the aggro decks <laughs> so we'll see how that works out i think that i'm looking at old him as the boogeyman of the format uh prism obviously polices him very well i think jermai will police to a decent extent, too. Uh, and then there's going to be these, uh, there's going to be aggro decks, of course. We're looking at Briar, first of all. But I think that the, maybe the mid range creeps back in, Hayden. Like maybe the mid range creeps back in. Because if there isn't this overly abusive, linear, aggressive deck, that is really what keeps mid range out of the format. It's not old him and it's yeah. not it's not fatigue, right? Because mid-range is actually pretty good against fatigue. Like playing something like a like a Rhinar or a Dash, that stuff is really good. So I think that these decks might come back in. Yeah, so I think one of the things I like to do at the start of the format, uh, so w- what I'm doing in my head right now, what this is what I've done already is, okay, let's start from where we were last format and then remove any of the variables we have to remove. So two Living Legend heroes. And this is why I asked this question to you, Brennan. So if I say that I'm kind of in line with you, I think Prism is going to be, would be well represented. I think Ultim would be as well. Uh, and Briar, I think this is like the, the natural place to start. That makes me think that if Ultim is, is good, you know, you have, <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm always going to say this, right? Maybe Brutes are potentially to be played, right? So is a Rhinar or Livia uh, a viable? And I, I do think in a, you know, in a, a Prism and a, a Briar format, like Livia becomes like quite viable. And in an Ultim and Prism format, uh, 
Ryan becomes quite viable. So you have two potential mid-range decks, like you say, that come back into it there. And then Dory. Dory got a lot of upgrades from this Classic Battles, actually, and, and looks kind of like... I played it in um, uh, Road to Na uh, Sorry, a ProQuest the last weekend. So the weekend after Classic Battles and the last weekend of ProQuest. And it was friggin' scary. It was my closest game I was playing Chain. Uh, that Glistening Steel Blade is a, is a card. Um, so, you know, and then with the hyper sort of... With Chain and Star of the Show dropping out, does that give Dory an opportunity? So... That's kind of where my head is at of like decks, those kind of like five kind of decks that maybe start the format off, right? And then after that, you layer in these new heroes, which we will get to soon. But that's kind of, that's probably where I'm at right now thinking, okay, where do, where's my starting point of what people are going to look to potentially pick up and what could be good? Yeah. Do you also um, agree that this is more impactful? Do you think that the rotation of Starvo and Chain is likely more impactful than all three of the Monarch heroes entering the format? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I said at the top of the show, right, and I firmly believe this is this is by far the biggest like change we've had yes. in classic constructed <clears throat> between the two things happening. But it, it remains to be seen, right? Like it's easy to say that now because it's right. What's right in front of us is the living legend to chain and start the show. But we we haven't seen the new heroes yet in terms of what they could could look like. They're very interesting. They bring new mechanics to the game. Invocations, uh, of course, like what fire's doing with sort of <clears throat> phoenix flames in the graveyard, and then Icelander, this this uh, arcanic hero that has disruption elements as well and has like a reasonable life total to start with so I, I honestly it's hard to say i think if i had to decide like if you were like you know now put your money on one of them i'd probably slightly agree with you and put it on the living legend but i i think it's close like the game continues to change and even if we saw in the last format like starvo didn't win the pro tour and yes it did warp the format but it wasn't necessarily even um you know, it wasn't it wasn't unbeatable, and people were doing things, and we saw a nerf, and was already changes being made. So I, I don't know, it's tough. Um, Want to touch on what cards are looking good in the existing heroes first? So what's the impact of Uprising for our already the base we're at before we even start to layer in these heroes? So um, I might go through some of them, Brendan. Maybe get your thoughts. Uh, Hypothermia and Ultim. That seems yeah. like one that um, you know annoying. seems like an obvious inclusion. Yeah, mega annoying. So it does not have a go again itself. That is something to consider. But yeah, hypothermia. For those who don't know, it says uh, it's a ice action affliction aura um, at majestic. The blue zero cost two defense. But it says attacks you control can't gain go again. So this is going to be your opponent. Uh, it says at the beginning of your end phase destroy hypothermia. Well, that's pretty good against Briar. <laughs> pretty good against uh, pretty much yeah, well everything that wants to go wide. To be fair. Well, the fact it does destroy at their end phase, but I think you're effectively making some decks take a turn off, which I think this is, uh, I'm immediately putting this in my old deck, right? Or at least in the sideboard. Yeah, and, and while we're on this kind of card, so yeah, I agree. So there's like things you can do. Maybe these builds that have Line Strikes or Ravenous Rebels or um, Rouse the Ancients into something like this seems pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then you also have, uh, and I'm uh, Fog Down, which is, uh, again, doesn't have go again, but is a three cost, non-attack actions, lose and can't gain, go again. This to me, a yellow, um, and then you destroy at the beginning of your action phase, it's an aura that costs three. I'm more interested in this in like prism decks, I think, but in this kind of like mid-rangey control sort of illusionist decks, but it could could see play in ultimate as well. That's another card that's interesting to me, but yeah, hypothermia, zero cost, ice. You can just obviously use it as an ice react. You can um, wait for it. You can crown it. You can wait until you have some go again. You play it, or you can just like trade. You know, you can trade your hand. Okay, I trade three cards into you. I arsenal this like ridiculous. You know, I would arsenal my pulverize or whatever, and then I play my hypothermia, and then you know you can't really do anything on your turn, and then on my turn I just I just come in with you know my pulverize or whatever it is. I kind of swing tempo. So hypothermia is really interesting to me. 
Um, maybe Arctic Incarceration as well, Brendan. So the new ice card that creates frostbites, is that mm. better than Winter's Bite? Probably not, but it, it could be used in addition as well, right? That's another card that I'm looking at. It depends, all right? Winter's Bite making them discard a card. Um, it's very good. Yeah. Taxes resources differently. Yes, it does tax resources differently and also gives them, you know, some of these cards are actually able to interact with Frostbites now. So you have like particularly the new, what is it? The new Ice Affliction, the one that deals damage. But yeah, I'm not sure if this is specifically better or or not, but I think that it is a tool that that deck will use. Particularly like the blue one, right? The blue one seems pretty nice. You're just yes, yeah. a Frostbite and a Target Hero's Control. The red, we'll see. You know, three, three, I mean, three Frostbites can pretty much turn off, uh, turn off the turn for a lot of these aggro decks of old something like you think like uh cheerio briar like yeah what would it do with yeah i mean frostbites? <laughs> it's done chill to the bone you had to hit this one you just play it and they just get through frostbites like against something maybe like a, a, a five for instance that might be heavily red line could be a very good card could just blank their their whole turn effectively maybe even um katsu or yeah i think that card is interesting to look at anyway and then the next one i want to talk about is ghostly touch and prison builds um this kind of legendary that's I think looks really powerful and could be this kind of end game in these more sort of hero based prism decks. Um, although maybe that's a Dramai thing, but yeah, that's definitely something that, that I'm looking at. Or when I say Herald and Dramai, I mean like a, a Phantasm and Dramai, but this is definitely something that I'm interested in. There is a Dramai deck that has been sort of swirling around in my brain. Something that sort of uses cards like Uvia and something like Ghostly Visit. All right, hold it, hold it, hold it for the, uh, the Jemai section then. Jemai section. Okay, we'll get there. We'll get yeah, there. yeah. Oh, well, we'll hold it. here's my opinion is uh yeah, maybe it could be good in Jemai then. <laughs> what about Prism? Prism? Um yeah, I think that so what is it competing with? That's really the question. I don't think well, nothing. I, That's not kind of the thing. It's like exactly. Dreamweavers and yeah. Ironhide, like kind of nothing. Yeah, so it's, I think it's gonna it's gonna slot in, right? You might you might play the Goliath Gauntlet still occasionally, and you also might still maybe. play the Ironhide, stuff like that. If you need the defensive value, which is but yeah, this is, I think it's strict. It's probably going into most of your prison builds. Yeah, I mean, I kind of have this idea. This the, my first thought was like, okay, you have this kind of more mid rangey hero build. You you come in with some early game. You know, you you bust into their their poppers, their six attacks. Uh, you stack up like even like as minimum as like three or four counters. And then at some point you just you know you've like maybe you've got another aura, and then you drop the uh the, the aura that stops phantasm pops in your first attack, and then. You're now just coming in with this into some auras game plan, like in kind of middle to end game. Um, it's just kind of this like sticky threat, right? That they literally can't deal with if you have that aura in play. Um, it kind of reminds me of like Manlands and and um, and Magic. It's uh, it seems yeah. quite powerful to me, but how it actually plays out will be interesting. In terms of Ninja, I mean Double Strike, and of course the new legendary equipment, the Tiger Stripe Shuko uh, for for Katsu. If we're talking about existing heroes, you know maybe this like Pouncing Links Hundred Wins deck that we saw a little bit in the last format that people were kind of playing i know someone played pro tour you know with with double strike and and the new legendary does this become a viable archetype potentially it's going to be a good question um we've talked about it a few times in the pod that we've we i don't know if you completely agree with me but i sort of feel like katsu's gotten a lot of side grades rather than upgrades other heroes maybe not gotten the same treatment he's gotten different ways to play but none of have quite risen to the top um, obviously we do have Mask of the Pouncing Links and now we have more cards that are caring about that low base attack. Um, mm -hmm. so potentially, potentially, I, I, it's too early for me to say like, yes, this is going to be a dominant ninja archetype that's going to supersede sort of the default, um, you know, surging line that you will usually play, but it's interesting, yeah. right? We, this, this feels like more tools to add on to a package that felt underwhelming, but now this might bring it over the line. 
I mean, it, it's really powerful. Like, even if you trigger this four or five times over the, the, the course of a game, which seems pretty easy in these maybe like 100 wins decks and, um, you know, you get yellow belittled and probably red belittled in there as well, maybe. Um, it seems a lot easier to do uh, and quite an aggressive sort of, you know, the problem is like you trade off mask momentum, right? That's always the tough thing. But pouncing links can be pretty powerful. You can set up some pretty disgusting combos um, with 100 wins turns. Uh, and the, the what's the new one? The yellow one from Everfest. <laughs> the five dominate player card. I can't remember what it's called. People will know what I mean if they've played some Katsu. Um, Crown of guy. Providence. I think, what's that? <laughs> I said, not this guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I know you don't. Uh, people will know. Uh, Crown of Providence. I mean, th this card just seems good, right? Yeah, basically Iron Rod, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> no, this card is pretty much... Double arms. This, this, yeah, this card is going to be better than, than, um, than Skullcap in most decks. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know most decks, in but, but most in decks. proactive aggro decks. In most decks, it'll be better than 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 Skullcap. It's fine. You're you wrong. You're wrong, and so is everybody else if they think so. Like Crown of Providence is basically tunic tunic Crown of Seeds, but you get to use it once per game, and it has defensive value. And of course, the the low to the ground, <laughs> like the the easy picking is with yeah. This is gonna be great in aggro decks. It's gonna be a staple, right? It's honestly like it's potentially even too powerful in aggro decks because it'll make them just even more consistent. That being said, I think if there's any card that I wanted to get my hands on in this set to add to my current my current uh, my current decks or you know my current collection of cards, it'd be Crown of Providence. Like I think this is a staple now, and it will be stable to come. This card is very very powerful. Luckily, you have a call for no. I, I agree, it is very powerful. I, my point is that I think it depends on what the meta looks like. Because you said it's me played in most decks. Well, it depends on the meta. Like. So a, a lot of decks are going to play Crown of Seeds and Mask of Momentum. You know what I mean? So like, it, it depends on what the meta actually looks like. But I, I agree that this is very, very powerful and is going to be played in a lot of decks. And I think any proactive aggro deck should play this over basically any other head unless it's a Mask of Momentum or Pouncing Links. Yes, especially if you, if you are in any way the aggressor and you're not playing a class like that can utilize Crown of Seeds or... Uh, um, or a mask momentum, or any sort of other busted hood that might be available that is class specific. This is probably what you're using. New Horizon. New Horizon. Yeah, New Horizon. Right. That's that's kind of what I mean. Like, actually, when I broke it down the other day, I was like, oh, what, what, like, what heroes play this immediately? I think like right now, it's only like three. It's like Briar, the Brutes, and Dash. I think are like the ones that are like immediately picking this up right now, just because there's like a lot of Guardians. There's Lexi. There's Ninjas in the format. <laughs> the Warriors play this too. Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, sorry, the Warriors, yeah, 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 which, you know, uh, Dorinthia, because Bolton doesn't really exist, unfortunately. The Kano's, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you actually might play this card in Kano against against uh, Prism, but maybe, right? Because I know some people were stretching it a bit, and they play Skullcap against Prism because they didn't want to die to the first Erudition. Unfortunately, that's just how it is. You get by Erudition, you get by... But this one, because you might get that five-card blue hand, okay, that's fine, but uh, I still that's don't know. Maybe. Let's talk about the sleeper card of the set, Hayden. The sleeper card of the set, in my opinion, is Oasis Respite. A common. Yeah, I mean, the, the, is it a sleeper? The card's ridiculous. It's a sleeper because it's a, it's a common. It's going to be, I think sure, this is okay. a class constructed, it's going to be a class constructed staple, especially in the sideboard. Like, this is effectively, if you play something like Tunic, this could, this is one for five off your Tunic resource, not even using a card out of hand. Obviously, that's like if pigs could fly, but not that hard to do. And this is really good against. It just blo it just blank blocks damage, right? Like that that's really good. If you're below life, it gains it gains a life on top of that, so you can be getting five out of the red one here. I think this is really powerful. It's also probably it's very bad for Kano. <laughs> it's very bad for Kano. Um, yeah, 
I think this is it's kind of an it's kind of a smaller note and an anecdote here, but I think this might be the death of wildfire combo. <laughs> but people could always not back it. People could have played Aaron as prayer. But yeah. I think this card is infinitely better than Prayer, right? In terms yes, of like its, its versatility. I think the one thing, like if you are looking for a comparison point, because I was thinking about this card, I was like, oh, this card seems like crazy good. You know, even in like ultimate stuff, you go pitch for shield, crown, play this, right? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a lot of damage to prevent. You know, it's a defense reaction that costs one that effectively could gain you five life. But then I thought about it some more and I was like, okay, sink below zero cost, right? Yep. As like a comparison point. And then I was thinking about Steel Blade Shunt. It's like one for six at red. Um, so there is like these comparison points to where I think Oasis Respite is is very good and is going to be like you say a, a staple in certain archetypes uh, to come especially you know it it's, has this double duty as like a defensive card against physical and arcane damage um, but I have attempted my sort of thought of where this card might land a little bit although I do still think we're going to see this in the next constructive format and constructive formats to come yeah for sure but Blitz especially, I think, actually, because of the, the durability of it. Like, you know, you, you don't have no sideboards, so here's something that deals with Arcane and with Physical, depending on the format, which is quite Yeah, cool. it could slow down the format a lot, too. <clears throat> yep. Right, let's, uh, we've talked about the existing format. Let's go and talk about the new heroes, uh, and let's start with Dromai. So we're going to talk through sort of, like, strength, weaknesses, where we think it fits in, sort of early week one builds that we would, we, you know, we are kind of looking at and, and what we think where to start, um, and just talk through some of, like, the key cards as well. So Dromai, Brennan, Strengths. Um, I had a couple written down here. I think, like, board presence is, of course, going to be, like, Dramai's prime strength, right? You have the new invocations. You have these cards that, that effectively put board presence on. They uh, they can be attacked, of course, but they it's different to how auras were in the past. You can, a lot, I think, a lot more efficiently play two of these in a turn, even maybe even three. Um, and I guess that's quite a big thing. It does definitely feel like it can take over games pretty quickly, especially combining with Ash Rings as well. You now have all these threats you have to deal with and you have to find ways to deal with them efficiently. Those continue to just chip in like Spectral Shields, uh, but now you have to attack them individually. It's, it's quite tough, although harder to get. Um, feels like it's going to bully Wizards, right? Like that feels like a, a strength of, of what you can do with Dromine Constructed. It's an illusion. Uh, it's thing, brother. <laughs> they just wreck Wizards, man. Uh... Might be better than Prism versus Aggro, I think is kind of my early thoughts on this, just in terms of the ability for you to, uh, you know, the dragons. So when you play like, <clears throat> when you play the auras, right, it's a threat and it, it obviously puts something on the board, but also those cards don't defend naturally. With the invocations, you have these cards that all defend for three and then you have a much, I think you have a much nicer decision to make. You have the ability to defend a lot more than you would if you didn't have them uh, and you can decide which ones you play and when. Whereas with auras, it's like, well, okay, I either pitch this or I have to play this now and it's actually not really the one I want to play now, but you know, what other choice do I have other than just pitching it for maybe a footsteps plus a special shield or maybe I pitch it to play shield or, you know, um, oh, I always forget the card. What's the yellow defense reaction? Soul shield. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, I think you have a lot more dis- decision points, which is good, and you have these cards that defend. And then also they're just they're cheaper, right? You know, you, you play a zero cost one off a, off a one card hand and now all of a sudden you have like this threat off a one card hand and it immediately attacks and it can gain you some, uh, potentially something. So like, Chromai, for instance, gives you some insurance against poppers, and then there's this like three attack threat that they potentially have to deal with, or you know, then you play a second threat, and now all of a sudden you have multiple threats. It's um, or you play two threats the next turn, tank some damage to do it. So yeah, I think it could potentially be better against aggro than something like prism. Potentially, um, I think that this deck is also just very good against old him still. So yes, prism has spectra, but if you're dropping two two dragons a turn, I don't think that guardians can keep parity with you. I think that the deterrents where they clear two dragons are very good turns for them. Um, and on average, they might clear one. So I think that if you're dropping anywhere 
you know, if you're dropping even close to two dragons a turn, I think you can have a similar effect that Prism does onto Guardian decks. I think this this deck will also be very good against Guardian, um, against Aggro and stuff like that. So the, what's interesting about Jeremiah is that like there's she has some toolbox dragons, right? Like Invoke Domina, the one that can banish. I think it banishes a card from the opponent's hand, right? Um, yeah, and then this like the Snatch one, all that stuff that if decks aren't able to block efficiently, it, it can be pretty devastating. So I, I'm floating between two Jermai decks, right? One that's more of an aggro deck, and then another that is a pretty hard control deck, obviously utilizing a new legendary out of out of uh, Illusionist, but using things like Uvia to develop a sort of overwhelmingly, <laughs> overwhelming board advantage to sort of maybe not OTK, but effectively get somewhere close to that, where it's just like you have so many so many things on board that you can just overwhelm your opponent. When you talk about old, being good against Ultim and clearing two threats, you think they won't have... Because obviously they have Phantasm, right? These dragons all have Phantasm. Mm -hmm. So you're not swinging, right? You're just Right, so you're trying to use the, the static abilities of these, these heroes, yeah. right? Or yeah. trying to get to a point where eventually you are attacking with a bunch of Ash Wings and you can... You know, you can afford to... Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely get it, right? Like, in terms of... I, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be better than what you can do with Auras, right? Because you just kind of not, no, not better. With yeah, points. not right, necessarily right. better, but close to, like, maybe close to on par to where, like, you can play a deck that's better into aggressive decks, because I agree with you there, because they, they, these things inherently block, um, but also still dunks on Guardians. <laughs> like, and I think that that's potentially what, what Jermai offers, right? Because, like, if you are able to develop a disgusting amount of dragons throughout the game, you have ways to sort of make your attacks potentially lose Phantasm or gain action points, whether it's through Time Staff or your boots. You could potentially Jermai. have that happen. Yeah, you could have that happen more than four times in a turn after you develop this large board and you effectively just kill your opponent on a single turn because nothing can do about it. Yeah. 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 No, I think it makes sense. Um, other strength, I think, kind of, like you say, you kind of talked about it already, but this ability to establish multiple threats and angles of attack, which we're going to talk about through some builds, is definitely a strength. And then weaknesses. I mean, the dragons, like you say, although they're static abilities, not all of them have these. And, of course, you know, they just die to phantasm poppers, right? Like, that is still a thing. And I think into mid-range decks in particular, that potentially could be could be an issue. I, I'm, you know, a deck that's able to put on a lot of pressure from a, an attacking standpoint and also just have one or two of these like you experienced with heralds in the past but now all of a sudden you know um of course you you know how, how do you because the, the the phantasm boots right they're on uh, attack action cards only right so they don't actually work on on these dragons yeah yeah so i'm just so how does go ahead oh no <laughs> i was just gonna say so like what's the plan into something like that i'm not sure to be honest i'm lost in the world of mask momentum triggering off of you hitting these things right when an attack action yep. card you control is third or higher on the chain link in a row to hit draw cards so it's not player so these things can't uh, these dragons can effectively function as ways to guarantee like these very powerful hit triggers and i have to go look at like all ninja ones like surging strikes stuff like that like costume's ability which i don't have in my mind if they have that hits a player kind of text but mask momentum being sort of the most prevalent probably the one we should think about first well, you can trigger mass just off either ash ranks that's ridiculous it's very yep. powerful. Yeah, um, that's definitely one of the biggest things about what Katsu can do. Um, and uh, no, it's just whenever an attack action you control hits on Katsu. So um, yeah, all of the abilities you can do uh, without the the need for... It's also the same for Mask of Pouncing Links and stuff as well. So definitely into ninjas, that kind of feels like the natural kind of... Um, feels like a counter. <laughs> yeah, hard, hard kind of counter. And then just kind of on that, um, the footsteps piece, like the footsteps, yeah, they don't work on 
on the dragons on the attack actions so uh this kind of idea of like have, you don't have a natural way to sort of push through if your first attack gets popped each turn without the aura uh or without chrome eye so just something to bear in mind is that these definitely are weaknesses um and yeah. how they might be able to stop those aggressive strategies yeah like chrome what's the other one miraga the one who makes the first one lose phantasm like it's miraga yeah i could just be saying the name wrong yeah. That's why when like when I was talking about this sort of like larger control deck that would sort of overwhelm the board, it would probably play things like time step ways to like recoup its action point, um, and it, yeah, just basically overwhelm the board in case the opponent did have a few poppers. Yeah, I think you've got to work out what what that kind of looks like and balance off the ability of maybe defending out a few attacks from your opponent or trying to build your board but not attacking because you can't afford to lose your mm -hmm. stuff to their defense plus their offense and just what that kind of looks like it's going to be a, a real puzzle i think and that's that's the the hardest thing about building dromai i think but um i mean it could just be that dromai's got enough power that it kind of doesn't matter we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see these dragons are pretty cost efficient so we'll see but it feels really well balanced which i like mm -hmm. um i guess where do we see it fit in i mean like you say right could benefit from a lot of guardians still being around highly played so your ultims um maybe it plays well into mid-range decks just naturally we'll, we'll have to wait and see and then how to build it, uh, you kind of already alluded to this, right? But control-style deck, something to similar last prison builds that utilize the onboard effects. Like you talked about Ovia, I think um, Ovia is like a really powerful dragon that can be used for onboard effect and for this kind of control-style pattern, just continually stacking up at the Ash Wings each and every turn. Um, and then maybe there's more of a Phantasm-based deck that uses the arms, so something like I talked about before with Prism. Is there a deck that uses that uh, with like Chimera Enigmas and these Cinepies and things like that? Yeah. Uh, more power up front then transitions to maybe something a little bit slower in the mid games once you get down sort of that aura plus the, the arms plus the ghostly touch. And then, yeah, what else? What else could you have? Well, I think the deck that we're going to see first is going to be an aggro deck. Things that use like Calora. Mm. I think it's Calora. Gosh, I can't even say. But like, um, you know, using a lot of break these the red line. Yeah, and... rake the embers, like burn them all, like stuff like that, where you just have this red line aggressive deck, like invoke domina. Um, and you do have the set of pies, but you have the boots as well with that. So you're able to throw that away, still develop the rest of your board, still come in with things that are relevant threats and develop dragons on the back of it. Is that going to be good in a ninja? Maybe not. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Probably won't be as good in a ninja, but it could still be a premier aggro deck. Um, and maybe you can sort of have that hybrid prism effect where you are a premier aggro deck, right? You are a premier aggro deck, but at the same time, you can have this sort of like sideboard where you sideboard into a plan that just dunks on guardians, kind of like prism does, yeah. right? Yeah. And what's the cut? Were you talking about like Kyloria? Just as like a really powerful, it's like Snatch on a Stick. Is that the one? Yeah, like about? Snatch on a Stick. Like that, that fits well into an aggressive deck, right? It's like, okay, you have to either throw a card into this or you need to block, right? Like this, it's very powerful. Yep, completely agree. Okay, uh, I want to talk about some key cards before we kind of finish off. And, uh, you know, actually, the, the one I want to start with first is Burn Them All, because that's an interesting card that I haven't heard talked about as much. Maybe I'm just not running in the right circles, but um, that card to me, like you say, with this kind of like. A, a proactive deck maybe an aggressive deck the other one for me actually is just like is there kind of like a combo finisher with burn them all i mean you can have it stick around for um for multiple turns and then kind of finish them out so burn them all brennan uh combo finisher or aggro card or not very good what is it mm, i had it played it on me unlimited and it felt like a uh, like a combo card i'm not gonna lie um yeah so i'm not sure if i would have it i could be so wrong about this but i don't really see a deck that is centered around this as a combo card, but I see it fitting in very, very nicely to an already aggressive deck. Mm -hmm. That card does seem really powerful to me. Um, interested to see how, how it kind of plays out. Um, unsure. It seems good, though. It does seem powerful. 
That's the uh, other than like some of the cards we've already talked about, Rake the Embers, it seems like it's going to be important. Ovia, like we talked about, Chromai, just what that does. The other kind of, the last one I want to talk about was like just Tomaltai. I think that that dragon is, is very powerful and we're seeing these more, more of these effects in the set that can target equipment, that can deal with equipment. We've got Liquify uh, as the Draconic attack reaction as well. And of course, Tomaltai that can uh, can potentially put a minus one counter on and uh, and destroy an equipment for zero defense. And you don't even have to hit with it. You just have to attack with it. <laughs> and if you reveal a red card. Yeah, this and, good. yeah, this and Liquify is adding a lot more. I think this makes the game actually more interesting and more dynamic. We saw it with Expose the yeah. Elements. Um, but just more ways to make your equipment not safe, right? They've been these permanents on the battlefield, but now they're finally at risk, you know? So... I think this is adding to like, I think it's overall just net beneficial for the game. It, yeah, like you say, good to see some interaction with equipment and equipment's so powerful. And then also uh, you've now got to think about how you use your equipment as well, especially your battle-worn and temper. Mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's go into fire. Let's talk a bit about fire. Um, I mean, strength-wise, I think they're pretty upfront here, right? Rupture, uh, you've got the go-wide ability with Phoenix Flames for things like Mask Momentum. And just the fact that your hero ability is very, very abusable. You know, if the game goes even sort of mid you know you go sort of seven to ten turns it's a lot of value you're getting out of your hero ability right like that that to me when i look at fire I just go the hero ability is inherently very very powerful is it better than kadachi got kadachi against aggro decks or sorry control decks sorry um maybe yeah. I, like it is it's it's in a similar sort of vein right except that you know you you get the ability to use your resources in other ways like anything that's that can be free is always so good like it's always so abusable in this game i think so that's something that i just immediately look at like kadachi's cost you two resources yes There's, so the inverse of that is that um like with kadachi kadachi all you need to do is pitch it blue and as you get into the later part of the game with five you might uh, run out of threats to be able to sort of recur those yep. at an efficient rate so they could be worse than kadachi kadachi but like throughout the early to mid game probably more powerful right because it is free <laughs> Well, when have you? When has Kadachi Kadachi been a good control threat? When was the last time it was actually a good control threat? Like Dash does it better, Alton oh. does it better. With, oh, well, yeah. You know what I mean? Welcome to Wraith. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Welcome Crucible, to I would say. Crucible. Yeah. Well, it's, the... it's like kind of giving Ninja this game against like you know the Guardians and stuff like that. I guess nowadays it's a bit of a boomer mentality because Guardian has freaking Ice React, Earth React, Crown of Seeds. You're like, <laughs> Crown of Seeds Shield takes care of both your Kadachis. Gosh. So. Yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, the immediately thing is I look at that fire ability and go, okay, like, what can we do with this? And even if it's an aggro deck, that's just super explosive, and that's definitely one of the most important things about fire. I guess weaknesses, uh, you're definitely more restrained for combo in terms of you don't have Kalsu's ability, uh, you have less of the, the combo finishes, of course, you, you know, don't have access to the Lord of Wind line, things like this, so definitely something to keep in mind. Um, and then, you, you, you know, resource tax is going to be a real thing in this format between Ultim and Icelander, um, and you're pretty susceptible to that. Uh, especially if it's, you know, Channel Lake Frigid is potentially one of the best cards against you, if not the best card against you in the game. Yep. Um, I'm really interested to see if the tax does stop. It's funny because I feel, I feel a little rock, paper, scissory coming out here in terms of theory, right? Like this deck Maybe. feels disgustingly good against uh, against Dramai, but also mm -hmm. very susceptible to tax. We've seen this before in Flesh and Blood. We have seen this <laughs> where they've come out with a deck that looks like, you know, oh, it's going to tax. It's, going, it's really going to make things suck. That was old him into the old chain. Didn't really mm. pan out. Um, so while the theory is there, I'm interested to see if the execution will happen. But yes, looking at the addition of ice cards on top of that, ice afflictions and stuff, does look rough. Does look like you're going to have a really hard time playing Fi to those decks. My question is like, is there multiple ways to build Fi? Like, can you build a Fi deck that is less susceptible to that kind of, uh, that yeah. kind of hate? 
a mid-range deck that maybe takes care like utilizes the fire ability for just pure pure advantage mm-hmm. um maybe i guess talking about how to build it i mean so one interesting thing for me is the searing ember blade versus kadachis or even needle like what does that look like and i think that's going to depend on what the deck is so i think there's a build that's just really focused around rupture lava burst is a very powerful card right um, so, uh, you know, so is the, the red hot and, and even the, the one cost sort of like the mini command and conquer against some decks is really good. So I think there's this rupture deck, which really utilizes Kadachis, uh, is definitely a thing, but then there's maybe there's more of a, a just a draconic deck, a draconic based deck that uses uh, searing ember blade and a bunch of zero costs, uh, could also be a thing. And then do we just have like a traditional mask aggro ninja deck, mask winter aggro deck, like take your Katsu deck that was an aggro deck, your hundred wins deck and just put it into fire and you just replace some of the more efficient draconic cards and obviously the cards you can't play in fire and then you just have this ninja aggro deck that also now has more ways to trigger mass momentum with um potential you know getting back <clears throat> your phoenix flames although yes you have less draconic chain links even if you still have two draconic chain links you pay one you get back a phoenix flame that's another chain link as well so uh for your mass momentum so more more threats there and then i think um you know is there like i talked about the cards is there actually this hundred wins tiger stripe shuko dot deck with maybe even like pouncing links and um things like that we'll see um to be honest when it comes to that i i just don't know the i just don't know the answer quite yet i think that the theory is there for it to exist but how it plays into the meta is particularly interesting procedure my dominated meta this is the first deck i'm looking at this and katsu to be fair I, I think this is so if we talk about like kind of impact on road to national season because that's something i'm interested in i think this is a place people will start because i think it's a place i'm going to start it makes a lot of sense like what is we've just come out of a format or two you know two three formats in a row we've always had this kind of like strong aggro deck right mm-hmm. what's our strong aggro deck now is it briar maybe but more so is it katsu or fire and what do those decks look like especially fire and i think that's where people are going to start it's always week one of a, of a season a new season starting with the the most linear consistent aggro deck is not a bad place to be it's often a very good place to be we saw it with road to nationals last year um with like what is the most like linear kind of deck to play week one was katsu in that instance but it was actually defensive deck but you know like that's that's the the mentality and if we're coming into a format where we've got this potential very strong aggro deck you know what does that look like um brennan did just want to talk about a few key cards we hadn't already touched on because there's some powerful cards that fire has access to so of course you know you've got your phoenix flames you've got um uprising you know i've yep. had this played against me a couple of times in the limited now yeah, that yeah, card yeah. is uh very very good <laughs> zero for four uh you do also have a card like blaze uh blaze headlong you know zero for four in this deck basically is unconditional go again because you're always going to be playing red cards um and phoenix form that card seems like a, a pretty powerful card you know one for five go again draw three cards if you can turn on all the effects on hit draw three cards that's um that's pretty powerful <laughs> Yep, see, like, it, it looks like one of those cards in theory is something that you sort of play around, right? Uh, like, you try to get all of its effects, maybe you play it towards the end game, maybe you pitch it. Usually the way these things end up playing out is that it's sort of one of those things you just get value off of it when you have it, mm-hmm. um, and that tends to be sort of the path that they take. That being said, Blazing Hedgehog, that's a great card. Um, like, 0 for 4 go again consistently in this deck. I think that's exactly where you want to be. Another card we talked about, Liquify. <laughs> like, I think, a, yeah, like, mm. this this impact on, on armor, even if it is limited, is really important, right? If there is a, if there are, there could be specific decks do crop up where this is just very, very good against them. Um, week one of Road to Nationals. 
my five if i was going to play five my five deck would have to beat old him um i don't want to be on an aggro deck that yeah. loses to old him that's it but if you're if my if that if you find an aggro deck that beats old him give it to me i'm playing it right it's probably the best deck in the format it's yeah. the best deck yeah it's probably the best deck in the format at least in the <laughs> early format definitely like if you find an aggro deck that beats old him go for it that's it that's the deck dash baby what are you talking about dash dash is very reasonable Dash is a very reasonable pick i think that we are going to see a resurrection of dash yeah, am I playing Dash Week 1 of Road to Nationals? Maybe, maybe. We'll have to wait and see. I need to do a little bit of testing and play some games. Maybe. Um, the the last... So, the, I actually, I just want to touch on, because I think you brought up a great point. I want to reiterate it, is what you talked about with Phoenix Form. That card has a really low um, ceiling. Uh, sorry, a really high ceiling and a really... Oh my goodness, I'm struggling. A really high ceiling and a really high floor as well, yeah. is what I'm trying to say. And I think that's... You've made a perfect point. These kind of cards look like, oh, maybe, you know, you do want to set it up, but actually... Often just playing them, like you say, you're you're always going to have a Phoenix Flame. You're always going to get some sort of value out of it. Uh, and, you know, it's just like, okay, I draw it on the right turn. I have the three Phoenix Flames. Or I sit in Arsenal for maybe two turns. Um, it's it's really powerful. Yes. <laughs> Icelander. Let's uh, go into our, our last hero as we talk through Classic Instructor with Uprising. What are some of the strengths of Icelander? Well, you know, disruption, right? That's kind of the obvious one that comes to, to mind first. Of course, you have access to all the ice cards that disrupt. Channel Lake Frigid, Hypothermia, Channel Oblique Explants. Uh, but then, of course, you also just have these things like Ice Vein. Like Aether Ice Vein is a very powerful card, right? What does Icelander do to the format? Does everybody play Arcane Barrier now? Do people stop not putting in their deck? Because I now there's two wizards, right? Like Kano... I don't have a lot of faith for him. We're going to talk about that. But, like, now that Icelander's in the format, like, is this going to change up, like, just the way people approach sideboarding, right? Because we would off the cut Arcane Barrier a lot. Now, if, like, Icelander's even a reasonable deck, it just seems like it probably was statistically correct before, but now it seems very statistically correct. But uh, a benefit of Icelander, getting back to what you were talking about, is Arcane Damage, right? Is attacking on this other vector that is not physical damage. Here's a question for you. Is it correct to play Arcane Barrier against Icelander? That's a good question. I don't know because sometimes it's not, right? It could not be. Is, is it, yeah. Is it like, is it, is, if you're playing an aggro deck, maybe you're playing Fire, are you actually better off playing three red Erinus Prayers and the card that you really care about is things like I Ate the Ice Vein, you know, right? These ones that like deal yeah. damage and, but like, but what you actually really care about in those kind of aggro decks is the tax that's coming out of Icelander. I don't even know if it's that, if it's the Arcane damage. Like, that is what will, of course, eventually kill you. But if you can't even play your game, I mean, they're just going to kill you anyway, right? Like, you have to still be able to play your game. And is that more important than dealing with your opponent's kind of damage? It might well be, right? Like, the Icelander, we'll talk about weaknesses in a second, but one of the weaknesses Icelander has is it doesn't have this ability like Kano to just kind of just kill you out of nowhere. Like, it has to set it up more. It has to deal more incremental damage. It can't just be like, oh, I've got, you know, thing into Blazing, into, you know, Wildfire. You know, it doesn't have this Wildfire combo. I mean, it can set it up. It's, it's a lot more convoluted. But it's very different to what Kano can do when all of a sudden it's just like you're on your own turn, you've no resources up, and they flip multiple cards off the top and just 25, 30 damage you. Um, it's a lot harder to pull off with, with Icelander. So is your first concern actually just making sure you can play your game? Yeah. I think that, and this could be wrong, but I feel like Icelander is going to be a polarized deck in the sense that it's going to have good matchups and then terrible matchups. I also feel like it'll either be a good deck or a bad deck. <laughs> I really Big do. Claim. Big claim. Yeah, it, that's the claim. <laughs> What's funny is I was really I was really impressed with what people did with Icelander back in the Blitz format, where they kind of flipped on its head, played this like fire breathing combo, and played this, you know, this mix of attack actions and not and uh and arcane damage. Is that the way to go? Potentially, right? Like I think that that's something that maybe this class actually wasn't designed with the intent of, but by 
building a deck around that, you can potentially make it more powerful than it was supposed to be uh, by design. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited for that. I'm excited for... I think Icelander has... We talked about Jermai being a puzzle, but I think Icelander actually is the hardest puzzle. Um, because oh, there's so uh, much going on. Yeah. Yeah, what are you actually trying to do? I agree. I've got a few few ideas in my mind. I actually built up a, a sort of a base of an Icelander the other day, which I'll talk about. But the last kind of weakness I want to talk about, just going off this idea of like you can't just Kano people, is um, you know, you've got these kind of setups, but it's things like, oh, I need to get three frost hex into play first, and then I ice eternal them. You know, yeah. there's like it's it's such a you know, it's a really big sort of setup to be done. It's not like, oh, I just Arsenal Wildfire and at some point I just have three blues and a blazing and they're dead. <laughs> um <clears throat> it's very different so how to build it Brennan uh, my kind of first thought was like actually this more kind of control based deck which wants to utilize taxes really preys on aggro decks uses cards like absorbent ether to combo damage out on your opponent's turn I think that absorbent ether is like a, quite a powerful card potentially in Icelander it works well with your cost structure so okay I pitch a blue I absorb an ether and then I play my blue my blue card out from from Arsenal whether it's just like a tax effect whether it's a bit of arcane damage and then either I pitch another card and play um, my, you know, sorry, to, to, to push the arcane damage rather, because um, you need to to get the plus two on it, don't know what I'm talking about. But then also I get to use my wand afterwards, right? Like, is that how I'm going to push my damage? Uh, and I think what weapon you play is really interesting. Do you play um, the new weapon, the staff that actually comes with it, or are you looking to play like the... Um, Kraken's Aether Vein. I, I'm so bad. I think you, yeah, I think you, play the, I think you play the new, the new weapon. The Aether Vein, it's... It's pretty good against aggro decks, I guess, but like, I don't know. The new weapon is so powerful, um, especially with the new equipment as well. I, I think, I think my first where I'm going to go first with Icelander mean? is very unimaginative. They're going to play Icelander good stuff. I'm going to play good attacks, the good zero cost attacks. I've go again things like E Strike, maybe something like Scar for a Scar, etc. Yeah. Et and I'm going to do go again attack into you know like powerful one cost red or maybe two cost something like whatever um and then hit with my hit my yeah hit my hit my because like if you, the hail waning moon yes scar for scar, well, come in for you know 12 damage on the yes. turn or whatever and then ta- and then have some aspect of tax in that game plan as well mm-hmm. it's like is that just is that enough right because that sort of game plan in the past metas like it's just too adorable like i just don't think it would work but now starvo and chain are gone and like that's a that's a decent amount of damage, especially like an e strike into the into these two things. Like you're looking at something like eleven to twelve damage, right? Um, so I think it could be good, especially if you sprinkle in a little bit. Of very efficient tax it has to be the efficient <laughs> the efficient cards that will tax the opponent. Yeah, I, my my issue with all these kind of plans always, and I always come back to this, is like it's middling, and where it's is middling. my power actually coming from? And like, am, am I actually doing something powerful at that point, or am I just kind of? playing in them and this is why i think mid-range really struggles on flesh and blood and it's a, it's a bigger issue we can talk about at some point but um i always come back to is this really what i want to be doing in this game when i could be doing something on either sides of the spectrum that are a lot more polarizing and powerful but ma- maybe could... maybe icelander is the the one that breaks the mold um what if i could just draw yeah. seven more cards in my opponent via like a <laughs> via a soul shackle that i've built up over the game can't do it anymore but I like can't do it anymore yeah that's what happens is like you just get a little too adorable <laughs> with some of these these uh these mid-range game plans they just don't they don't exist in real life it's just kind of boomer flesh and blood um yeah can it work though for sure maybe maybe <laughs> i think it can it's just like yeah it's um it's trying to play a fair game and and i think maybe maybe the game's just getting fair maybe that's what we're about to see we'll, we'll, we'll find out uh any key cards to talk about brendan i mean the majestics are really interesting to me as well right the cards like in case um 
you know, freezing point. Like these these cards are interesting. Sigil of Permafrost is a rare as a defense reaction. I mm-hmm. talked about Absorbinator. Like there is there is things to do there, and I think there is multiple ways to take this deck. Frost hex um, peak. Right? Frost hex just damage, right? Like that's a permanent. Yeah, frost, it is, it is, it is. But you do have to obviously, you know, it, like is that a value permanent or is that like a setup permanent? That's what I'm interested to see. Like, is that something that's just gonna kill people over the, the sort of the the stages of the game, or is that something you're actually trying to set up with multiple frost hexes and like ice eternal? So I think you're trying to set it up, and here's why, is because like you have to change the way that you're playing that card for it to actually be effective, right? Because your opponent's breaking. The, f- the frostbites on their turn if you give them on your turn you're usually trying to tax them after the first attack so that you know you can stop them from blasting you and in all those cases they don't get left with any frostbites at the end of the turn it's actually really low value when they do get left with frostbites in the turn because they just blow up so i think you're trying to stack like three of them and then play things like ice eternal then play something that's like this critical maximum of frostbites where they just like they can't clear them they can't getting- break it on their turn exactly they're getting blown up etc yeah. etc but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's well, they about play one card, right? Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. like that's that's sort of the summary of that is I don't think that uh, Frost X is a value card. Cool. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Yeah. Right. You maybe you uh, incarceration them on your turn, whatever. They get three frost bites, and then they can break one of it by playing something. But then all of a sudden you just go, okay, well I'll take that attack, and here's an ice eternal out of arsenal, and now you can't play anything else for the rest of your turn, and these are gonna blow up in your face. Yeah. And that do, that and seems do you like you play E plus with ice eternal too. Like, are you just? <sighs> Because if you have oh. three frost hexes and you're black, I mean, that's pretty hot. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the the last card I did want to talk about though is Coronet Peak. That that card, the legendary headpiece, is super interesting to me. So pay three and then target opponent discards a card unless they um, pay a resource. Right? It does. It is an action. It is so an action. you you know it does cost your action point. But what is really interesting about that is to me is like you can kind of because what my issue I have with like Icelander is you need part one half of your deck and the other half of your deck to come together to work well so the ice half of your deck and the action half of your deck that deals damage and some of these are one and the same you have like ice bolt and stuff but how many of these kind of middling cards can you play as opposed to like powerful cards you know your disruption and then your damage like where does that come together and one of the cool things I do like about Coronet Peak is defend with three cards keep it blue activate Coronet Peak to take a card on your opponent's turn they disrupt them trying to play five card hands, four five cards hand into you. Like that, that I think that card has some real strength to it, which is uh, is really going to interest me in this format. Interesting, yeah. Coronet Peak for me, and I think this could just be because I'm not smart enough, but it has like I haven't I haven't seen it yet, right? Like it's not Coronet Peak is not the one that's like really gets me excited. There's a card called Insidious Chill, which looks mega annoying. Oh my god, it is. I've played against Unlimited. It sucks. Oh yeah, so I annoying. got I got one Unlimited, but like in Constructed, having three of those, like that card jesus christ so this is a this is a ice action aura so it comes on the board with three frost counters on it there's no frost counters on it you destroy it but it says whenever you ice fuse remove a frost counter from the insidious chill if you do target hero discards card unless they pay two that on a stick on a permanent oh and you can play it at arsenal that card seems good man yeah it's it's a it's a real pain yeah that's why i think ice fan is also very good so yeah um it's going to be interesting to see where Icelander goes. I like, I agree. I think it's going to be, I think people are going to come prepared with some solid Icelander builds on week one. And um, I think they're going to, they're going to do okay. Like they're going to really crush some of these aggro decks as like a meta call to maybe people playing fire week one. And um, what, what that means is I probably think that, you know, uh, a deck like Alton probably does really well in week one. A deck like Prism does quite well in week one, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see where we shake out. Uh, what next, Brendan? So this is my kind of last question for you, I guess, is where, where are you starting with Uprising? What's your kind of first... Obviously, you have this event coming up this week, no Uprising, but then, you know, you've got some Road to Nationals coming up. Um, what, where are you starting with Uprising? How are you testing? How are you going about 
evaluating uh, and trying to build with this new set? Yeah. So how am I testing? Um, well, in terms of duration times, it's the usual. So <laughs> pretty much every day. Five I days. just mean about how are you yeah. approaching this new format? Like, what yeah, are you how are we approaching it? So we're going to verify the old format, right? Like, so now Chain Star are gone. It's like, let's reevaluate people think are good, right? Old, they think Old End's good, Prism's good, and Briar's good. Let's evaluate this deck. Let's see where the lists are. Let's see what the gauntlet is. Develop that. All right. Let's start brewing a bit, I guess, with the new heroes. Um, see what the community is talking about as well. And then start bringing in those old decks, bring in those, uh, those dashes, potentially a Reinar. <laughs> One day he'll see, he'll see the, he'll see the light. Um, and just go from there. I think that there's a big part of this. It's about exposure. Like you want to get exposed to a lot of the meta before you go to a road to nationals and it slaps you in the face. Um, at the same time I'm playing, I'm probably going to play almost all limited road to nationals. It's just how it kind of rolls down where I am the that's cool they have yeah the, the the limited ones in the in the classic constructed ones tend to be on the same weekend you kind of get to choose and i will be choosing limited <laughs> what about you um uh yeah i mean i'm just gonna start with some ideas got some brews kind of i shared some of them today right like this defensive icelander uh, the kind of draw my deck that really tries to abuse ghostly touch like these are the kind of you know a fire deck that's like rupture based or this kind of <clears throat> shuko based deck these are the things I'm just going to build up and start with, play a few games, see what's the inherent power of it, <clears throat> and then go back to the the old sort of gauntlet decks as well and kind of where we are post the format, just things I talked about. Um, for me, I mean, I'm going to play a mix of Road to Nationals, some Limited, some Constructed. going to just, just try and play games <clears throat> before the Pro Tour. That's kind of my goal. Um, and yeah, just try and evaluate where we are with this format, try and find a few fun things. I guess last quick question for you though, Brendan, is um, on, a, on a scale of Bolton to Briar, uh, how impactful are these three new heroes in the format? If you could, uh, if you could rank them, which uh, which ones are going to have the most impact, and which ones are going to have Bolton esque, maybe less less impact? Yeah, sorry, Bolton. Jermai, Ryer, by Bolton, um, Icelander, probably Bolton, just because ah, I don't see it really beating up on Oldham. I think Oldham is going to be really prevalent. Um, that's a total guess. Don't hold me to it. I know you. What did you, you put five? I put I put five to Bolton. He's a Bolton. Oh, yeah, Bolton the Bolton boy. I know the Bolton boys hate me, um, and that's why they exist as the uh, sort of. The, they do. They told me. They, yeah. yeah, they exist as the baseline of our spectrum. They are literally the bottom. Bolton is the lowest you can go. Um, but still, I think that yeah. If, I, if I'm gonna do something that's even slightly controversial, it's Jermai, uh, Briar, and then Icelander and Fi at uh, Bolton. Okay, cool. Should we uh, close it up for the week? I think you've got a Google review for us, Brendan, before we wrap up. Yeah, we do have a Google review. Um, it is from Pierre. Uh, last name, don't know if I can I can hit that one right now, but he says, uh, I'd like to... You want me to try? You can try. Do the whole thing. Uh, Pierre Henry de Sardines? I don't know. It's maybe. Give maybe. it a go. <laughs> Sorry if we messed that one up. Um, so I like to, uh, he says, I like to consider myself to be a, the little annoying brother of Hayden Dale and Brennan Patrick, constantly mimicking my older siblings as I try to figure out how they do, how they do the things they do. What do I mean by that? Well, Hayden won a skirmish using Reiner, so I modeled my Reiner deck after his and finally placed first at my first ever Blitz Armory event. Brennan and the boys brought Kana to the Pro Tour, and I started to pick up some of the pick up some of the cooler lines and managed to unlock a 41 damage turn while presented with lethal at one health myself. Listening to this podcast is such a joy every week, and I look forward to all the tips, insights, and occasional banter that my oldest brothers at Arsenal Pass never cease to deliver. As the saying goes, imitation is the highest form of flattery. Hopefully, Brendan and Hayden, uh, you read this and feel flattered indeed. 
Keep up the incredible work. I hope to see you both someday at a fab event, or better yet, be matched against Brendan by my Jeb, so I can try, so I can cry softly as he licks his fingers, knowing the battle is already over and he has won. Well, thank you, Pierre. Hayden, so if people want to get fe- uh, featured on Arshall Pass and get their review read, how do they do it? Uh, well, first of all, they need to roast you a bit more. We was the, I was waiting for the Brendan roast to come and it never came. So I don't know what's going on there. Definitely but, don't. Wait, um, let's, let's switch it up. Why don't we roast Hayden for once? Sure. Like, look at Go this on. guy. This guy, I think that he's, he's ready for roasting and his tolerance is, uh, he's got plenty of it because it's never happened. <laughs> Uh, you can get your reviews in by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash Arsenal Pass and uh, dropping us a review for your preferred streaming platform. Um, and yeah, please, please do. We, we love getting reviews. It helps us get out to, to more people in the community and uh, maybe those who know about Flesh and Blood but don't necessarily know a lot about it are scrolling through and, and come across you know our reviews and, and the podcast. So And of course, it gives us a little kick as well. So. Thank you all. Uh, that's it for Uprising and Class Constructed. And I guess a, a first look, an early build. We will, of course, be revisiting the Class Constructed format, the Blitz format, and definitely limited with Uprising over the next four weeks as we hurdle through this Road to National season. Very exciting. Uh, you know, this, this year is just going to fly, Brennan. We've got Road to National season. We've got Pro Tour number two. We've got Nationals uh, coming up. And then James White has confirmed that Worlds is happening in November uh, on the Instant Speed podcast with Flake this previous or this past week so that is coming we have got a lot of op to round out the rest of the year finally check us out on youtube arsenal pass on youtube we do a lot of you know uh, things like deck guides uh we just did some limited videos uh we will be getting back to some gameplay as well me and Brendan are trying to make our schedules work so we can do some gameplay it does take a bit more sort of uh effort and, and time availability for us to do those just because of production and, and things like that um twitter come and find us on twitter we're at uh, brendan apg and fian underscore dale uh, engage in fab twitter and, and you know we like to post a lot of things like decklist etc and a big shout out to all of our patrons massive thank you uh, on up on our patreon for arsenal pass we do have all of the sideboard guides and deck guides that we post up for um when we do a deck tech up on youtube so you get the full written guides up on our patreon we do an additional monthly podcast uh usually around sort of like level ups or things that we want to cover that uh maybe a little bit off the beaten track that don't quite fit with the the main pod as well um or we don't have time to cover all of it and we do sort of other things as well, like we'll post up kind of like limited tier lists and things like that as we go through seasons um, and anything else. We sometimes do gameplay reviews. So otherwise, Brendan, we'll see everyone next week. Well, I was going to close it out. One more thing is that if you're interested in the Fab Fitness for July, definitely stay tuned. Go check out the Arsenal Please. Pass Patreon. If you're a content creator and you're interested to join us, we will feature you. Like we will, we will give as much exposure as possible. Hit me up, DM me. Let's make this work. Um, so it's going to be coming in July. We're going to create a little channel in the Arsenal Pass Patreon Discord. You won't be able to talk in there yet. You'll be able to see there. July, we'll unlock it. And we'll give out plenty more details. And we're going to see what kind of prizes we can raise. I think we're going to get some exciting stuff. Specifically, that very, very, very limited edition life pad that I think there's only like two more left. I might have to go try to find some more. Um, but anyway, Hayden, thank you everyone for listening and uh, good luck at your upcoming events. If you're in Ohio, come say hi to me. Um, and yeah, we'll see you in the next one. Yeah.